great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you have. And at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com, we're working night and day to make that happen for you. So we all have had our lives in different ways disrupted from coronavirus. And I wanted to give you a look into my own life and what have been the goods and the bads that have gone on in my life since I went into quarantine uh, much earlier than most anybody, March 13th. Now, I went into quarantine then because I'm about to turn 65. I have a pre-existing condition. Actually, my wife says I have two pre-existing conditions. She's probably right. Both having asthma and my heart not being perfect. And so uh, we had a family meeting, and I agreed to go into lockdown here at our home. And so since that time, producers Kim and Joel have continued to go to the studio, and I have remained at home. And so I do, I have the good fortune that I already had a radio studio in my home and it's fully sound baffled and all the rest and that I have a um, sound stage in my home and I have a video facility in my home. So I do, if you're not aware, I do TV and right now I'm doing TV many times a day and so I have a setup where I feed to TV, and there's uh, three times a week I do what's known as a talk back with an anchor, and I'm doing those with the anchor being in the TV studio, and I'm in my own studio in my home. And technically, I'd give that kind of like a C plus at best, even though I've got really solid equipment to do it. So I've been able to continue work pretty much as before, except more work than I had before. And I'm one of the lucky ones, somewhere around um, 25 to 30% or so of Americans can work from home and continue to do their work. My daughter, who was at college, is home from school and doing the online education. Uh, she's a sophomore in college. But it's been tough for her. Uh, she was uh, one of the vice presidents of her student body, is an officer of her sorority, was really heavily involved in campus life, and is someone who really benefits from being in a physical classroom with an instructor or professor. It's been hard for her. For my son, who's 14, it's been really hard for him. He's someone who actually looks forward now when he can go back to actual school and be with his friends and be in the classroom because learning at home has been hard. Uh, for my wife, uh, Lane is an actress, and she right now is supposed to be performing a one-woman play. Instead, she's home, and it really frustrates her to not be able to engage in her career, although she did, uh, in the midst of this, book a role for another play for the fall, and we'll keep our fingers crossed that theater is back running in the fall. And it's been really neat for us as a family to have 
all this time together. You'd think, and, you know, it's the dynamics different in every family. Um, there are going to be, unfortunately, more divorces that are going to occur because of the enforced closeness, and there will be other families and relationships that grow stronger from the time together, and ours definitely has done that. We're spending typically one and a half to two hours a night at the dinner table just talking, the four of us. And it's been really, really building connections to each other that are stronger than we would have had if it weren't for coronavirus. My adult daughter, um, she and her husband and son live what normally before coronavirus was about 45 minutes away without traffic. Now there's so little traffic, it's taking 25 minutes. And I go over and go on a neighborhood walk with them, six feet away from them every week. And it's been great to see them and to see my grandson and hang out with them. And I have found that, although it took a while, I've been able to adjust. And the weird thing is I've been sleeping better generally in the coronavirus era than I was before. Can't answer why. And I've been uh, exercising more, and I've actually lost weight. And everybody's reacted differently. You know, I know there's been this thing with people drinking a lot more and uh, that's going to be a problem. There's going to be people who maybe like to drink before that are going to develop alcoholism. There's been an unfortunate increase in the amount of illicit drug use by people during coronavirus. So people have, have internalized this different ways. In my life, I think that um, on balance, what I've been through the last seven weeks has actually been a positive event in my life and my life with my family, not a negative one. And so I, I think about the privilege I have. I'm still employed. I'm able to do my work from my home. I'm with my family. We're all healthy. Um, we've been able to get groceries and supplies when we've needed either from dot-coms or from store pickups that we've been doing, or store deliveries. We've been uh, getting food that we go and pick up at curbside two nights a week, and uh, then eating five nights with food we prepare at home. And I've actually learned a little bit of cooking. I mean, my idea of cooking before coronavirus was putting something in the microwave. Is for our teams at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com, the 20-some-odd people who work on the websites, plus we have contractors as well, have all been able to work amazingly well remotely. Um, I had always been someone who believed in letting people do a certain amount of work remotely, and our setup was people worked in the office four days a week and worked at home one day a week. Well, for the last eight weeks, People have been working from home, and I've been amazed at how unbelievably well everybody's been able to work together and to deliver the content that people have been looking for. And it's not easy running a website right now because we're all ad-supported. 
ad revenue has declined, but the number of people visiting our websites is way, 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 way up. And that makes me really proud that we're giving the content, the information that you're looking for digitally, as well as here on the show. And speaking of which, we have been using a different format during the coronavirus period where you post questions for me at Clark.com and producers Kim and Joel alternate answering, asking me the questions you have asked. And Kim, who's up first today? First today, it's Randy. He says, I heard you say recently to take the refund instead of a future cruise credit because the cruise line may either artificially inflate future prices or they may go out of business. I've already got a future cruise booked. Would it be smart for me to take the credit and apply it to upgrades? Also, do you really think that larger cruise lines are in danger of going out of business? We don't know when people in large numbers are going to be comfortable to get on cruise ships again. The United States, as you may have heard me mention on a different show, the United States government made the decision that Carnival Cruise Lines was so important economically that they got a bailout. But Royal Caribbean and Norwegian and other smaller cruise lines did not. And so cruise lines need to operate at max capacity, somewhere around 93% occupancy or above in order to be profitable. I think it could be a good while before people feel that confident, unless there's suddenly a miraculous um, regimen of treatment that's developed that people no longer fear coronavirus or ultimately a vaccine if those come sooner rather than later, either of those two, then the cruise lines will wounded but will survive. On the other hand, if people's confidence remains low and we have to live with the, the danger of coronavirus for an extended period without a clear treatment available or vaccine, I think some of the cruise lines will fail. I know it's hard to imagine such large prior to this successful businesses failing, but they have large fixed costs. They've got the, these massive ships that can cost up to $1.5 billion each that sitting idle but having to be paid for is something that could break the back of any business no matter how strong it was coming in. So that's why I like for people to get cash back from the cruise lines instead of credits. Joel? Clark Kristen says, we've been renting our house for the last seven years while saving up money to buy a house. We have a 30% down payment saved. We're planning to buy a house this spring or summer. Is it better for us to wait a few months to a year and see if there's going to be a crash in the housing market before we buy, though? So I've been reading these predictions from uh, supposed experts on the housing industry and it's fascinating that the predictions are from no decline in home prices to a collapse worse than what happened after the banking scandals of 2007, 8, and 9 that led to the massive housing crash. So I'm a believer that houses are where people are going to find comfort and security. And at the same time, the number of new construction homes that will be built 
will be smaller than there would have been. There will be fewer new homes. So I don't think there's going to be a significant crash in the housing market. However, I think there's wisdom in riding this out for a few months to see what direction housing does take. And if the economy gets significantly worse, it's possible there would be a temporary decline in home prices that would make it a more advantageous time to buy. Right now, sellers are not cutting prices. And that's why I would say if your window is sometime this year or maybe even next year, waiting a little while to see how this plays would be to your advantage for your wallet. Kim? Courtney says, what essential guidelines would you give for someone who wants to start for the very first time buying stocks online? So I'm a big believer in you starting building a portfolio with index funds, not with individual stocks, that your base is built around a total stock market index fund, an international index fund, and maybe a small amount of money in a bond index fund, that you build a base first and then explore out from it to individual companies. I think that's the safest way for you when you buy online, if you use, uh, it used to be, I would just talk about Robinhood as a way to buy and sell stocks free, but now virtually any discount broker platform is free for buying and selling stocks, but it's also free for you to buy uh, various uh, ultra low cost, no commission mutual funds or ETFs, exchange traded funds, which are a cousin of funds like index funds that you buy from a discount broker like you're buying a stock. And you can buy the equivalents of any of the ones I talk about. If you go look at my investment guide at Clark.com, it gives you the basics about how you build your initial investments. This is the time each day you used to hear the Clark Rageous moment, something people were doing that's terrible. But now with the cascade of negative news, I want to do something positive, and that's why we do the Clark Rave. And I want to tell you something that's so simple but was really touching. My wife and I go out for a walk every day, and we were walking through the neighborhood, and we pass a neighbor's house, and there's a party going on. And there's several dozen people in the front yard at this neighbor's house, and it's loud. A lot of laughing going on and all the rest. And thinking, you know, people really aren't supposed to be gathering in these numbers. And, you know, because the rules in a lot of places have been 10 or fewer people. And so it turns out that their daughter had just turned 15. And some of her friends had concocted this thing to have a surprise show up party for her where they just showed up at her house knowing everybody's pretty much home and all these teenagers had set up where they'd measured six feet distance and had set up this grid where they were all hanging out together and all these girls were squealing and laughing and having a great time and they were all maintaining their six foot difference and then the parents were as 
going to be because these were 14 and 15 year olds who couldn't drive. So the parents had brought them and were off to the side and they were, well, not all of them seemed to be six feet apart, but they were all mostly doing that and they were having their own gathering. And the mom later sent me a text. She said, I thought you were going to turn us in for having so many people. I said, no, this is great. It shows how much we crave time with each other and how special this 15-year-old girl's birthday turned out to be that seemed like it was going to be such a time of loneliness and nothing special at this occasion of turning 15, and her friends made it a really special day for her. Happy birthday, Abigail. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas to me so you can stretch every dollar. So do you know that all over the country, people are dying of heart attacks that they would survive or dying of strokes or being much more incapacitated from a stroke because when people are having an emergency event like a heart attack or the signs of a stroke, the onset of a stroke, people are refusing to go to the hospital. This is being reported all over America, and this is not okay. You know, there's this fear that you are going to catch coronavirus if you go through the doors of a hospital. And although that is possible, if you're having or a loved one is having a heart attack or a stroke, you got to go. I, I mean... There are reports around the country that heart and stroke units have nobody in them or nearly nobody at all. It's not like suddenly we outlawed heart attacks and strokes. We were talking about this at the dinner table, and my wife was saying, well, you're one of those guys who would just keep quiet if something was happening anyway. And I'm like, no, no, let me tell you. If I start having chest pains, I'm going. I'm going to the hospital. And I don't want you to be in a position where you end up in a severe world of hurt because you're not taking care of yourself. And I saw in a New York Times summary of what's going on around the country, the very small number of people showing up at major medical centers around the country, city after city, people aren't showing up. And as a result, they're dying. That is not okay. And it doesn't have to be life and death. I mean, there can be more basic things. Pediatricians are reporting that parents are not bringing their kids in for their vaccinations and other uh, normal well child checkups well the thing is children are at minuscule to zero risk not zero but close to of dying from coronavirus it's almost not heard of but kids could end up very ill from other things unless you're somebody who doesn't believe in vaccines but kids need their vaccines on the schedule and most pediatrician practices are doing the two waiting rooms and different times a day where they have a 
sick kid waiting room and a well kid visit waiting room. And for right now, most pediatrician practices are seeing sick kids in the morning, well kids in the afternoon. So you're not anywhere near people who might be ill. So please, please don't put your kid's health at harm, at risk, by not taking them to see the doctor. I did read one really cute story, though, from a dentist. You know, dentists generally around the country have only been seeing dental emergencies, people who have a terrible problem with big pain. And one of the dentists said, people have been really happy to see him, where in the past they weren't so happy to see him. And I think it's just getting the pain relief and also having some form of human contact with somebody outside the house. Uh, Dennis, as they reopen and state-by-state dental practices will resume, Dennis are going to look like they're astronauts. They'll be wearing so much protective gear. And I think for you and me as patients, the danger because of all the precautions that will be taken will be very low. Uh, Here on the Clark Howard Show, we're taking your questions that you post at clark.com slash ask, and producers Kim and Joel are asking your questions for you. And who's up now? Clark, I'm up. Joel, what's up? All right, well, Asa has a question. He says, where can I go and check on my application status for the SBA COVID loans? I applied three weeks ago with various lenders, and I haven't received an email or a letter in the mail stating the status of the application. Any information or advice would be greatly appreciated. Okay, this is a serious problem you're talking about because when you are approved for uh, one of the PPP loans that you do with a lender, uh, not direct with the SBA, the lender will send you a notification that your loan has been approved, and they will also notify you when your loan is ready to fund. If you have applied at multiple banks and nobody has communicated anything to you, that means they never took any action on your application. Now, with the first round of PPP loans, the reality is the fix was in. And there was a very corrupt process that the overwhelming amount of money only went to publicly traded companies and big companies. Very little money went to the intended recipients, which were small local businesses. It's been such a focus on this in this round that the odds are much higher that if you go back to try a small local community bank, try a non-traditional lender like PayPal or cabbage or somebody like that and you have a better chance that your loan not only will process but it will also be funded there was such a backlash against the corrupt practices of the nation's biggest banks that the sba a few days ago shut down access to the ppp to all the nation's large banks and only allowed applications through non-traditional lenders and small banks and credit unions so that they knew that the loans being processed by small banks, credit unions, and non-traditional lenders, almost 100% were going to very small businesses. And the big banks were doing exactly the opposite, corrupting and perverting the process and the intent of the payroll protection program. 
And it was a great thing, a great breath of fresh air when the Fed shut off PPP access to the super regional banks and the four giant monster megas, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Chase, and Citi. That was a good thing to do for America. So all those applications you put in went nowhere if you've received no response. Try again. Kim? Jennifer says she listened to you recently mention joining a funeral and memorial society. This was in response to someone asking about funeral insurance, which she understands you don't recommend. What she hasn't been able to completely figure out is what exactly is a funeral and memorial society? Okay, so what they are is they're nonprofit organizations that uh, not the entire country is covered by a funeral and memorial society, but they have different names that you can find one close to you at funerals.org. And what they do is essentially they use group buying power to get you a much better price on a traditional funeral with burial or a cremation. Typically, a nonprofit funeral and memorial society will cut the cost of a funeral with burial 75% and a funeral with cremation by 50%. So it's a huge savings and makes it something you can manage and budget for. When you find a local chapter, hopefully there's one in your area, each of them operate independently and do things their own way. Generally, you pay a lifetime membership fee, and then that gets you access to the much cheaper prices that they've negotiated. Some funeral and memorial societies have it set up where they tell you this is what a funeral with a burial costs, this is what a cremation costs, each of the services, and they just lay out a set price. Others have select funeral homes they've negotiated specific discounts with, and then you plug in to see what it would cost at the time that uh, someone who's a member has a need for those services. Something else I want to mention is make sure your loved ones who are going to be the ones grieving at the time of your passing, know that you've joined a local funeral and memorial society, and you also state to them their wishes, your wishes, and how to reach that group at the time the need happens. Joel? Clark David says, there's a possibility that I may get furloughed for a week. My question is, can my company force employees to use their vacation time for the week? This seems pretty shady. Can they actually do this? I, I'm planning on taking the furlough and applying for unemployment compensation. It's my theory that they may be forcing employees to take their paid time so they don't have to pay unemployment. Do you think that's what they're doing? That is what they're doing. <laughs> that's exactly what they're doing. And it is um, not an accepted practice. I don't know that it is illegal in any of the 50 states for an employer to send you away and tell you, you're getting your vacation pay, your PTO, and that's what they're going to provide you with a solid paycheck. And the employer is specifically trying to hold down their UI rate, what they have to pay month after month, year after year, for contributing their share to the unemployment compensation fund. I think when this is all over, if this is how your employers treated you, you'll need to make a decision once the job market gets healthy again 
if that's a place you want to stay and continue to work. But as far as taking this one lying down, for now, you take it lying down. You just let them uh, tell you don't come in and pay you based on wearing off some of your PTO and don't lift a finger for work during that week. Kim? Beverly is asking, can you please help me and my family decide upon our future vacation plans for the rest of the year? We have several trips booked, and I'm not sure if all of them will be possible, but the ones that would be, the activities might still be highly restricted. No pools, no water parks, concerts, etc. So it might not even be worth it for us to go. What do you think? I'm particularly concerned about a Disney trip we have scheduled in the fall. What's left of the experience if we're still social distancing? You know, it's impossible. It's impossible today to predict what things are going to be like September, October, November, December. We just, there's so much we don't know. We're so new in the coronavirus cycle. And there's a strong belief by um, Mr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci, that we are going to be in a second wave of coronavirus that could well be more severe than the first one in the fall. But again, nobody knows for sure, and there's a lot of months between now and then, and it's very possible that we will have an effective treatment or a series of treatments that are found for different people to have varying degrees of effectiveness by the fall. So I think all bets are off when you look that many months down the road. That's why corporate America has done something in numbers I've never seen in my entire life where they're doing what's called suspend guidance, where normally a company gives uh, rough ideas of what they think their revenues and profits or losses are going to be each quarter looking forward. Right now they're doing none of that because they find that there are so many unknowns with coronavirus, it is unpredictable. And that's why with any vacations you're booking, booking something that you know you have the ability to cancel for a full refund till relatively close to the travel is a key decision for you to make in booking travel. Joel? Clark Amber says, I work for a nonprofit. I'm currently enrolled in the PSLF program. I have three years left to go on my 120 payments. I'm currently employed, but I want to come up with a backup plan in case my employment can't continue. I'd be happy to work stocking grocery store shelves or at Amazon or really any need that's out there right now. However, I understand that the PSF, PSLF program correctly, I'm not allowed to work for an organization that's not under the 501c3 status while I'm enrolled in PSLF. Is that correct? That is correct. You are going to have to, if you found the job that you have now vanished, you need to work, you're so close to being done with your public service loan forgiveness, you want to take any job anywhere that would be with a nonprofit they would get you to your 120th month. I know that's a crazy thing for me to say, but that's really what I would recommend. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you have a question for me, go to Clark.com slash ask and post it. And we have a question now from producer Kim. Who are you asking a question for? Clark, this is from Ramona. She says, my daughter is starting college in the fall. What recommendations do you have for us to set up spending accounts for tuition, housing, living expenses, etc.? Something that we can both access, perhaps a credit card? That's an interesting question. If, if you really trust how your daughter handles money, add her as an authorized user to one of your credit cards. I also like the idea of you setting up a... Uh, checking account with one of the online banks where you deposit the money that's going to mean need to be accessed for college expenses that either of you could access where she would have access to the money specifically for school but not to any of your other money and would be able to use a uh, piece of trash fake visa or fake mastercard debit card to access money from that if need be versus using the credit card and at the same time, uh, there's money there that's already designated to pay for those school bills. The reason I like the online banks, those accounts have no minimums, no fees, nothing like that. And any idle cash, you can leave deposited in the interest-earning savings account with an online bank and only move it into the online bank checking account as the money is needed to be spent. Right now, you'll earn about a point and a half on that money, one and a half percent, which is better than what people are earning most anywhere right now. Joel? Clark Stevens says, in this time of crisis, do you consider money market funds a safe place for your money? Or are you concerned that the money is potentially unsafe? So nothing is more safe than having money in an FDIC insured account or an NCUA insured account, NCUA federal insurance for credit unions, FDIC for banks. But the Federal Reserve has made it clear that it is going to back up the liquidity, that means your access to your money, in money market accounts. And I have money in money markets. I have very little money in bank-insured accounts. My money is heavily in, my available cash is heavily in money market accounts. And I feel comfortable with that. I'm not worried about that money disappearing but the absolute highest level of safety is a savings account with an fdic insured bank or ncua insured credit union the podcast normally would end here but because of the unusual circumstances we're in we have additional content that we recorded earlier today that i'd like you to have access to and this will continue day by day as long as the events warrant. So we have some unsung heroes in the United States that are being worked to death, and that's truck drivers. 
Truck drivers usually work under tight limits about how many hours they can be on the road. Most of those limits are temporarily waived because of coronavirus, and these drivers are working brutal hours. And in many cases, as independent drivers, their incomes are actually going down, not up, because of the disruptions in supply chains. Truck drivers are having to do empty backhaul, which, if you're not familiar with that term, usually what a truck driver does is he or she will take one load one way and then look around on proprietary internet networks and find another load to go back from wherever they've just dropped something or close to that so that they keep producing money for the time and miles they're on the road. Right now, a lot of those loads that they deliver, there's no load nearby that they can grab and take. Plus, truck drivers are in a terrible position because they can stop and fill up at truck stops as they drive a load. But a lot of times, they don't have any facility they can go into and rest. So they're basically living in their trucks 24-7 because of restrictions that are in place where a lot of truck stop operators have shut down the trucker lounges. They can't go sit in restaurants and cool their heels and take some time away from the road it is just brutal and tough but something i think is just horrendous i keep reading that truckers are getting to the places where they're taking their loads and they're not being allowed to even use the bathroom that they're treated like pariahs this is just unacceptable behavior to treat these truckers this way because they're out there seeing that you and I have food to eat, that we have the supplies we need. They're the ones that are getting medical supplies to places they need to be so that medical workers can have safety gear to wear, that the meds that people need to take are there for them. So when we're back out and about again, I hope as you see that big 53-foot trailer riding on the road next to you that scares you by its size. Uh, just remember, that individual in that truck may have been the reason that you had the meal you had that you enjoyed or that you have the supplies you need, like the toilet paper people are clamoring for. So I want to express a thanks to all the hardworking truckers out there. And here's something else I wanted to talk about today. We're going to talk about a no deal right now. So I've had so many people asking about the temporary coronavirus rules for withdrawing money from retirement plans penalty-free. You still pay uh, income tax on it, although the income tax is spread over three years. And then there's an unusual provision that if you get solidly back on your feet and are in a position to pay the money back, then your money goes back into your retirement account no tax, no penalty. I mean, wonderful scenario in a terrible situation we're in with coronavirus. But one group of workers is being completely ripped off. And that's people in those hideous, horrendous, rotten, terrible, awful 403B plans that we sentence school teachers to, 
people who work at nonprofits, many people who work at hospitals, are put in this trashy, trashy, garbage version of a retirement plan called a 403B. Now, why do 403Bs exist? Because no matter how much politicians say they value our school teachers and other people who work in public service, they're lying. They don't care about you, and that's why you were shunted off into this rotten, terrible, awful alternative to a 401k, the 403b. It was a gift to the ugly, dark corners of the life insurance industry, where teachers and other people in 403bs are sold absolute garbage, horrible retirement plans with massive commissions, massive fees, and there are almost no companies that offer legit 403B plans. The two biggest that do are TIA and Fidelity Investments. But pretty much everything else out there is awful, inexcusable. And now we add another wrinkle. So as I said, you know, you can, from a retirement plan, you can either take a loan up to 100000 which you normally couldn't, or withdraw up to 100000 pay no penalty, and only pay the ordinary tax over the three years, like I talked about with the 401k. Except, except 403b plans often have what are known as surrender charges. Not only have they already ripped you off by charging you up to 400 times the management expenses you would have in an IRA or a 401k, but then if you want to take money out, you get hit with a massive fee called a surrender charge by the insurance company. So where I've talked about using this ability to withdraw retirement funds as a last alternative, with people who have 403B plans, it's last, 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 and only if you're out of every other possible way to buy food would you withdraw money from your 403B. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.